Okay, praises be to our Father that we're able to study again his commands uh, this evening. Now, because of Russia and Ukraine being in the news uh, 24-7, there are many who have been who have sent questions asking whether or not Russia is somehow fulfilling prophecy. And so we talked about that last week, and we will continue to look into it this week. So it's Russia in the Bible, according to prophetic material. We read last week uh, Ezekiel chapter 38, 1 down to 3. The word of Yahuwah came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Yahuwah says, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Take note that we've discussed this prophecy before, and we've identified Gog and Magog. And so let's uh, go ahead and, by way of review, kind of uh, look into the identity of Gog, because it mentions here, you, O Gog. So Gog represents a being or an evil influence. And we know, according to many biblical scholars like Michael Heiser, that Gog represents some kind of supernatural evil, uh, a demon king, perhaps, who, whose purpose is to rebel against Yahuwah and to attack and destroy the people of God. So that's Gog. It's a, an, a demonic presence that affects policymaking, that affects world leaders today, and it continues to have an impact in the development and course of world history. So that's Gog. We also looked at the land of Magog and identified them with the Scythians. The Scythians occupied uh, the place north of the Black Sea and surrounding the Black Sea. And if we look at scripture, the Bible says they are from the far north. So this place where God resides is, or Magog is a place in the far north in the amplified version of the Bible using the biblical Hebrew word is actually the uttermost parts of the north and we and if we look at the map what is the uttermost parts of the north is that place what it, the place we call Magog or the Bible calls Magog is now what we call Russia and so we know Gog represents some kind of demon king and Magog is the land occupied today by Russia and so when Russia invaded Ukraine uh, people are asking is that fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and we say no because the invasion depicted in Ezekiel 38 is not Russia invading Ukraine, but Russia together with other nations invading the land of Israel. And so it is about the invasion of the land of Israel. And so today we're going to answer four questions, namely number one, who will join Russia in the invasion of Israel? Number two, when will this invasion happen? Number three, what will be the outcome of this event? Number four, what message must we learn? Because if we don't get a message as a way of application, then what really is the purpose of prophecy? So I think out of all the four questions, number four is the most important one. But let's go to question number one first. Who will join Russia in the invasion of Israel? We talked about this last week as well, and it mentions Meshech and Tubal. And Meshech and Tubal today is identified as Turkey. So Meshech and Tubal will be in cooperation with Russia in the invasion of Israel. But be besides Meshech and Tubal, 
The Bible also mentions other participants, members of the confederation led by Russia. Ezekiel 38, 4 down to 6, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen fully armed, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Persia, Kush, and Puch will be with them, and all with shields and helmets. Also Gomer with all its troops and Beth Togarma from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. And so Ezekiel 38, 4 to 6, identify together with Meshech and Tubal, the participants of the invasion led by Russia. And so here is a list of these nations, Magog, Russia, Meshech and Tubal, found in Turkey today. How about Gomer, Togarma, Persia, Kush, and put, let's go ahead and identify uh, these nations uh, today. Now, when we seek the identity of Gomer, Togarma, Persia, Kush, Put, Meshek, Tubal, Magog, of course, we cannot be certain what, with 100% certainty, right? Uh, we are simply putting out their possibilities. This is why when it comes to prophecy, the only way we can say a prophecy has been fulfilled is after the fact. And so the purpose of this lesson is not to predict any events in the future, but to guide us so that we can be prepared for what is to come and to learn uh, from Scripture the purpose of this prophecy. Okay, And that's, again, question number four. But let's go ahead and make an attempt to kind of identify where these nations are today. Remember, these are possibilities. And so when we look at Gomer and Togarma, Meshik and Tubal, they actually have one thing in common. What is that? If we go back to Genesis chapter 10 at the table of nations, this is what it says. Now, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Remember, this was after the flood, right? And the task the instruction given by Yahuwah God to Noah and his sons is to repopulate the earth. And so what we find in Genesis 10 is the repopulation of the earth through the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Repath, and Togarma. And so what do they all have in common? They're all son, they're all related to Japheth, right? So the invaders of Ezekiel 38, 39, at least Meshech and Tubal, Gomer and Togarma, they're all descendants of Japheth. And we know Japheth occupied the place north of Israel. And if you look uh, at this map, this, by the way, was determined by the writings of Josephus, a historian from the first century, we notice that from this map, we have from this map the division of nations. We can see Japheth occupies the north, Shem the east, and Ham the west or southwest. And according to Josephus, Josephus, this is how they were distributed: the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And so let's go ahead and look at Gomer. Where could Gomer possibly be today? Again, we are talking about possibilities. And so let's go ahead and consult with. Herodotus, if you remember, we talked about him last week. He's one of the uh, most notable historians, the father of history, according to his work. Gomer was the first son of Japheth. The Gomerites were the ancient Sumerians expelled in 700 BC 
from the southern steppes of Russia into what is today Turkey. According to Herodotus, the Sumerians inhabited the region north of the Caucasus and the Black Sea during the 8th and 7th centuries BC. Although they have not been identified with any specific archaeological culture in the region. So there's a great like likelihood that when the Bible spoke of Gomer, it's also identifying regions around Turkey, which makes sense because after all, they're all relatives, right? They're all descendants of Japheth. And so when we look at our table, we have Gomer occupying today what is called Turkey. So we have Meshach and Tubal, Turkey, Gomer, Turkey. When we look at our map, this is how it looks like. Gomer, Meshach, and Tubal occupy that that general territory around Turkey. Okay, so we have Russia way up in the far north, and they're leading a confederate, a confederacy of nations or a group of nations allied with them. Gomer, Meshach, and Tubal identified with Turkey. Let's go to Togarma. Togarma. Um, what? Where could Togarma possibly be today? Again, according to historians, ancient historians, this is what we have. The descendants of Gomer's son, Togarma, uh, were depicted as dwelling in the recesses of the north, and they multiplied across the whole north up to Asia during the time of Ezekiel. Uh, they are believed to have occupied the lands of the north and west of Israel. In Ezekiel's time, there was a, there was a city in Cappadocia, modern Turkey today, known as Tegarma, Tagarma, Tilgarimu, and Takarama. This is why many historians identify Togarma, again, in which place? Uh, Turkey. So the Armenians, a nation found in eastern Turkey, have, a long, have long claimed that they are of the house of Togarma. Armenians are dwellers in the Caucasus and the Armenian highland. Caucasus is located at the boundaries of Europe and Asia, whereas Armenian highlands is mistakenly regarded as Eastern Anatolia or Eastern Asia Minor, and is referred to as the Aryan Highland or the father, fatherland of Aryan peoples. This is why uh, uh, when we look at Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Togarma, they all basically occupy the same place, which is Turkey. That being the case, I think if we want to know about Ezekiel 38, maybe perhaps we will look at what's happening in Turkey, right? because they seem to be major players in this invasion. So Russia, Turkey, now we have Persia, Kush, and Put. So these are, this is the, the map that we're looking at. By the way, in this map, can you see where Israel is at? You see that blue country there, that tiny blue country from the arrow, the end of the arrow? Mm -hmm. Well, not the end of the arrow, but the beginning of the arrow. That's Israel, a tiny land, right? And look at what the prophecy is telling us. There are these lands, that begin from the far north, uh, Magog, led of course by Gog, because he's an evil influence, a spiritual influence who will lead countries against Israel. And eventually he will occupy Gomer, Meshach and Tubal and Togarma all against Israel. But he will also occupy Persia, Kush and Put. So let's look at Persia. Where, it, where could Persia possibly be? Where do you think? I think that's an easy one. That's the easiest. I believe that's the, the next three are actually are actually pretty easy to identify because they're obvious. Because the countries there today so identify themselves with these ancient names, and Persia is Iran. 
right? In fact, it, it wasn't, it was in 1935 that they became Iran. So before 1935, they were still identified as Persia. Iran was always known as Persia to foreign governments and, and was once heavily influenced by Great Britain and Russia. In 1935, however, the Iranian government requested that all countries with which it had diplomatic relations called the country by its Persian name. What is it? Iran. So we know Persia is Iran. So when we look at our map, there's Persia, there's Iran, right? That is Persia. And notice uh, how it's positioned relative to Israel. And so it's east of Israel. So we have north of Israel, east of Israel, but we're not yet done. Now let's look at Kush and Put. Any ideas where these places could possibly be? Well, we get a clue, a really big clue, because if you go back to the table of nations, Genesis 10, 6, we've identified Japheth. Now we look at the sons of Ham. The sons of Ham are, were Kush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. And notice Mizraim is there. Mizraim is what country today? Egypt. Okay, I just want you to know that because the absence of Egypt in the prophecy in Ezekiel 38 is really interesting because it only mentions Cush and Put, but Mizraim is not added there. And so the uh, Ham occupied place in Africa. And according to Josephus, you have Put, Mizraim, Cush, right? So we're going to look at Put. Where is Put today? It's not the land of Putin, okay? It is Libya, Libya. Libya is, uh, is put. And how about Kush? South of Egypt, that is identified today as Sudan. So now we have the other players, the other participants in this invasion of Israel led by Russia. This is the complete list. We have Russia leading Turkey, Iran, Sudan, and Libya. And so this is where they are at. You notice they're surrounding Israel, right, from the north, from the south, from the west, uh, from the east. And what will they do? Bible says they will swoop down on the land of Israel. And so what do they all have in common? These nations led by Russia, they have some kind of beef with Israel, right? They do not like Israel. And if there are a group of people who do not like Israel and despite, despise Israel, majority of them are from the Muslim faith, right? They just don't get along. Muslims and Israelis, they don't get along. Uh, and so we, what we find here is this group of nations that will ally themselves with Russia and their purpose is to destroy Israel. And much of the motivation to destroy Israel is not just because they want to loot Israel, not because they want to pillage Israel, but also because they dislike Israel. And so what we have here, what they have in common, they're against Israel and they're allies with Russia. Now, who are the nations that really despise Israel today? Well, if we look at the map, we got Russia there in red. You notice the country right smack in the middle of Muslim countries is what country? Israel right? Israel is right in the middle of countries which are Muslim. Russia is mostly 50%, I believe, Russian Orthodox, right? 
but they're surrounded by Muslim countries. It doesn't take much convincing to convince a country that is mostly um, Islamic or Muslim to really hate Israel. And as a matter of fact, of the nations that uh, comprise the country surrounding Israel, um, they do not even recognize that Israel is a nation, except for that country right there, Egypt. You notice it's not mentioned, right? It's not, I mean, being an important country and historically, at least biblically, Egypt has always been the enemy of Israel. But in this invasion, it's conspicuously absent. It's not there. Libya is there, Sudan is there, but Egypt is not there. And it turns out countries that recognize uh, up, up until today, 2022, countries that recognize Israel and countries that do not recognize Israel, you notice um, Sudan and Libya, they don't recognize Israel, but Egypt does for some reason, right? Which is really weird and very, very interesting. It, what does that mean? We don't really know. But anyways, we know these countries are against Israel. Now, which countries are allies with Russia today? That's something we need to also kind of uh, identify which of these countries surrounding Israel are presently allied with Israel. Let's begin with um, Sudan, right? Sudan, what is the relationship? Russia's relationship with Sudan, traditionally limited to arms exports, reached a new level of cooperation in 2017. Then President Omar al-Bashir sought out Russia for lack of alternatives. Internationally isolated and saddled with sanctions, Sudan had few offers of partnership other than that from Russia. And so Sudan so basically were kind of forced uh, to really have a relationship with Russia. In 2019, Sudan and Russia signed an agreement which reportedly gives Russian Navy access to, to Sudan, Sudan, Sudanese ports. In November 2020, Vladimir Putin announced that the Russian Navy would proceed with building a base capable of hosting 300 uh, personnel and four warships on Sudan's Red Sea coast. And so that's Sudan and Russia. And Sudan is strategically located where it can advance a force, an army, right? A bunch of troops because of its vicinity and close, uh, closeness to um, Israel. And so that is uh, an ally that they can use to target Israel. Okay, well, how about um, Libya. Well, leader Muammar al-Qaddafi was a close ally of the Soviet Union, despite his country's membership in the non-aligned movement. Also, Russia regarded Libya as one of its strongest allies in the Arab world. And not too long ago, there was a, there was a civil war in Libya, and Russia took advantage of the chaos. They entered there, and they wielded their influence. And according to this report, how Russia sways its sway to more influence in Libya, Russia has been doing well in Libya. And it likes the fact that few seem to notice it when describing the relationship between Eastern Libyan-based commander Khalifa Haftar and the Kremlin. Uh, press articles have been littered with phrases such as the Russian-backed Libyan uh, general Moscow man and other verbiage that gives the impression of a straightforward dynamic whereby the Russian state bets and relies on Haftar and therefore focuses on supporting, not undermining him. 
And how about Iran? I think we all know Iran's position against Israel and, it's all, and also its position or relationship with Russia. Iran and Russia are strategic allies and form an axis in the Caucasus alongside Armenia. Iran and Russia are also military allies in the conflicts in Syria and Iraq and partners in Afghanistan and post-Soviet Central Asia. And so when we look at the allies, quote unquote, of Russia, we can include Put, we can include Kush, we can include Persia. And so now the only thing that remains is Turkey, right? Because at present, Turkey happens to be a member of NATO. Okay? And so because it's a member of NATO, it is against Russia. It's allied with the United States against Russia. And so that's kind of like a wild card, something to look for, because uh, Turkey is a bit uh, doubtful when it comes to it, the commitments that NATO has for them. And if Turkey turns, that would be catastrophic for NATO, and that would be a great blessing for Russia. So Turkey and its, and its geopolitical climate is something that we need to be watchful for, okay? So the, the nations identified in Ezekiel 38 have been uh, revealed to us, okay? And in our best ability to identify these ancient names, we believe that most of them are the nations that surround the people of, or the nation of, Israel. Now, let's go ahead and look at the question, well, when will this invasion happen? Let's go ahead and look at Ezekiel 38, 7-9. Get ready, be prepared, you and all the hordes gathered about you and take command of them. After many days, you will be called to arms. In future years, you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They have been brought out from the nations, and now all of them live in safety. You and all your troops and the many nations with you will go up, advancing like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. And so when will this attack or invasion against Israel uh, be fulfilled? It's going to be fulfilled, right, after the bringing together of peoples and people groups, the, the people of Israel, into their own land. And we say that because Ezekiel 38 must be understood within the context of Ezekiel, the whole book. Because if you look at Ezekiel, right, the events depicted in Ezekiel 38, 39 have not yet happened because they are sandwiched between 36, 37 and 40 to 48. 36, 37, and perhaps in future studies, we're going to go look, we will look deeply into 36 and 37 because it's fascinating how the Bible um, depicts the birth of the state of Israel. It's really amazing. One of the most amazing prophecies that you can ever read is Ezekiel 36 to 37 about the Valley of the Dry Bones. Perhaps we can study that next time. But it talks about the birth of Israel. When did that happen? When did Israel become a state or a nation? 1948, right? Ezekiel 40 to 48 is about the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Yahuwah and Yahusha here on earth, Okay. And so in between that is Ezekiel 38 and 39. And so we know the invasion of Gog and Magog in the land of Israel will take place before the millennial kingdom and after 1948. And so what does that mean? Well, probably very near. Not only that, if it does happen, we know we're very near the millennial. 
If that's true, it means we're very close to the harpazo, the deliverance uh, and redemption of our souls. This is why we are very excited when these events are taking place because it means, number one, not only is prophecy being fulfilled, but number two, our redemption is drawing near. So we should be excited about that. And so we have the millennial kingdom, but there's another Gog and Magog attack. And that's after the millennial kingdom. That's in Revelation 20, verse 8. So Ezekiel 36 to 37 speaks of the birth of the state of Israel, 38 to 39, about the first Gog-Magog invasion. Ezekiel 40 to 48 is about the millennial kingdom. And then Revelation 20, verse 8 is about Gog and the Gog and Magog attack. If you still remember, in Revelation 20, verse 6, when Yahushua, after Yahushua's second coming, what will transpire? Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So Yahushua is speaking about the 1,000 year or millennial kingdom. And who will co-rule with him? Those who will be priests of God and of Christ. Who are they? Those who belong to Yahushua. And so they will be in Israel, they will be in Jerusalem, and they will be leading the kingdom of Yahushua HaMashiach here on earth. For how long again? For 1,000 years. What happens after the 1,000 years is finished? 7 to 8. Now, when the 1,000 years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And so after a thousand years is over, who will be released from his prison? It would be Satan. And what is he going to do? He's going to deceive the nations. And then the Bible, again, mentions Gog and Magog. Does it mean that Gog and Magog is this, the same nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38? No. When we find Gog, remember, it's a demonic influence. And Magog represents here those influenced by Gog. This is why in this instance, they will come from the four corners of the earth. In the first invasion, they will come from where? Up north, led by Russia and other uh, nations partnered with them. But in this instance, this evil influence identified as Gog, the one behind it this time is really Satan. Those who are influenced by him, they represent Magog. Gog, evil influence. Magog represents those influenced by Gog. So they will come from the four corners of the earth. And guess what? How many, how many of them are there? This is really, really astounding. The Bible says their number is as the sand of the sea. Can you imagine after the thousand year kingdom, when you can see firsthand the king, Yahusha, and his leadership on earth for a thousand years, there will still be people who will reject Mashiach. And they will still be deceived by the devil. That's amazing. The depth of humanity it, it being prone to that kind of deception. Even after a thousand year reign, people will still reject Mashiach. That speaks volumes about the stubbornness of humanity. 
right, that they don't really want to repent. And so this should serve as a warning for all of us, brethren, let's watch our hearts because it's easy for Satan and demonic influence to deceive uh, many people. And so what will they do? In verses 9 to 10, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And so they will attack again Israel, right? Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that would be the end of Satan and those who follow him. So God represents in the future the rebellious spirit against Yahuwah. Magog influenced those who were influenced by God. So it's no longer bounded by location, but bounded by influence, right? Do you see the difference? Okay, so in the first invasion, it's the, the location is specified. But in the, uh, the next, the second invasion, which will take place after the millennium, millennium it's not, it's not land-based. It is influence-based and will come from all lands and nations. And so... That is what will happen in the second. But we know Ezekiel 38, 39 will happen before the millennial comes. And so we are still before the millennial, right? Yahushua is not yet here. So it can happen during our time. In fact, it can happen within the next several years or so. We don't know. But what other clue does the Bible tell us concerning the time element of when this prophecy will be fulfilled? Let's keep looking into Ezekiel, Ezekiel 38, 10 to 12. This is what sovereign, the sovereign Yahuwah says. At that time, evil thoughts will come to your mind. Whose mind? God, right? And perhaps the one who is the chief instrument of God, who happens to be who? I don't know. I'm not going to mention any names, right? Because he's going to put something in his mind and you will devise a wicked scheme. You will say Israel is an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. I will march against her and destroy these people who live in such confidence. I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people who have returned from exile in many nations. I will capture vast amounts of plunder for the people are rich with livestock and other possessions. Now, they think the whole world revolves around them. You know, before 1948, the land of Israel was really desolate. But after, right before, right after 1948, after Israel became a state in the land of Israel, all of a sudden, they became the source of much livestock, the source of oil. As a matter of fact, they're the second leading producer of oil, second only by just a couple of bushels, bushels from Saudi Arabia. The land of Israel is an amazing place. Not only is it the, the breadbasket of many nations, many people, many nations rely on Israel for much trade. Many people are jealous of Israel. And so they want that land because it has a lot of oil. Okay. That's why it's become a target of many nations, including what is up there? Russia. Russia. They want to target Israel. And later on, we'll give you another reason why perhaps they're very, very upset with, with Israel. Anyways, that's um, the attack will come when Israel is going to feel confident. And when it comes to Israel, they have a reason. They're a confident people. The reason being is because they have a lot of nuclear weapons, right? They're very influential. They're very rich. And they consider themselves safe. As a matter of fact, 
um, when it comes to feeling safe, because that's what it means, when Israel is unprotected on land filled with unwalled villages, it's an idiom for, 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 for telling us that Israel is going to feel safe. And Israel feels safe because they trust, they have confidence in their armed forces. They have confidence in their weapons. That's why they feel safe. They have confidence in their natural resources. That's why they feel safe. So Israel feels safe, right? Right now, they feel safe. But that's when they can expect this invasion to come. Right when they feel safe and secure. Because compared relative to who they were before 1948, before 1948, they did not feel safe. They were on the brink of complete annihilation from the hand of Hitler, right? They were on the brink of being completely removed. Uh, but then for some miracle, they were gathered together as a state in the land of Israel. And Israel is a rich and fertile land, just, what, just as the Bible mentions. And so that's one motivation. And so perhaps right now, or, you know, the stage is being set for this invasion to actually take place, which means we're very close to the return of our king, uh, Yahushua. And so the enemies are going to come, right? And they are allies. There are people who are allied with Russia, and we identify those nations. But what we need to talk about is Russia. What is the Russian-Israeli relationship? How is it like now? Well, they have some kind of agreement concerning Syria. And so Russia is helping Israel in terms of what happens in Syria and Iran. Or so, so Russia is playing its part in keeping the peace between Israel and other Arab nations. However, just recently, just news um, that, that came out, Russia yesterday was very disappointed with Israel's UN vote to condemn the invasion. And so this report came just yesterday. So Russia is really upset. They're pretty pissed off against Israel. Okay. And Iran, well, they've always been angry with uh, Israel. And, you know, this last year, they threatened to take out Tel Aviv if Israel follows through with new military plans. And just, yes, just today, just today, uh, there was this news that came out, U.S. and France agreed to continue close coordination on reviving Iran nuclear deal. In other words, they're watching uh, what Iran's doing because of what they recently did, or at least what they reported that they did. And what they reported, according to this article, is Iran's second military satellite named uh, Noor 2 has been launched into space by the Kassad rocket of the aerospace wing of the Revolutionary Guards and successfully placed in orbit 500 kilometers above the Earth, the official IRNA news agency reported on March 8, just today, okay? Iran's military has struggled to get, to get effective military reconnaissance craft into orbit, though it took a major step towards strengthening its capabilities when it successfully put a NOR-1 satellite into orbit in 2020. Uh, the United States has alleged Iran's uh, satellite launches defy a UN Sec Security Council resolution and has called on Tehran to abstain from activity related to ballistic missiles capable of delivering nuclear weapons. And so Iran is busy preparing to construct their own nuclear weaponry. 
and they are also making um, taking steps in giving them the ability to launch these weapons because just today, according to their report, they launched a second military satellite, which would provide the ability for them to attack countries using their weaponry. So Iran is very hostile against um, Israel. Russia is developing more hostility against Israel. And then something happened today. You know what happened today? Just today. Biden, President Biden announcing US ban on imports of Russian oil, liquefied natural gas and coal. That could kick off a series of events that could launch an invasion of Russia against Israel. You know why? Well, think, think about this. If uh, Biden is, because Biden is, has strong ties with, with uh, European countries, right? Because of NATO. So if Biden is pushing for this, European nations would probably side with Biden. They also might ban the imports of Russian oil, liquefied natural gas and coal. If that's the case, Russia is providing 40%, 40% of Europe's uh, oil and natural gas and coal and energy needs. If they're going to ban um, Russia from sending their goods to Europe, where's the oil and the energy gonna come from? You know what they're thinking about? That's why they developed a pipeline from this place and to Europe, it's Israel. Israel is stepping into the scene and saying, look, we have this pipeline that they're developing. We can provide you with all of your energy needs. If Israel will step in and fulfill that role, which, which is supposed to be Russia, Israel is gonna take a lot of business away from Russia. What do you think that's gonna do? That's gonna bring Russia against Israel, right? And so that could be in the works as we speak. We don't know. And so what this tells us is it seems like the necessary conditions are being met for this invasion to be fulfilled in our lifetime, right? But again, there's still that wild card. And that wild card is Turkey, right? Because Meshek and Tubal, Gomer, Tugarma, they all represent Turkey. Turkey, are they with NATO? Are they with Russia? possibility that four of the names mentioned in Ezekiel are now in Turkey makes a reasonable argument for Turkey being a part of the end time invasion of Israel. Current circumstances in that country also lend this view some credibility. Fact of the matter is not many, including the United States, really trust Turkey. Since the breakup of the Soviet Union, Turkey has been gaining inroads into Central Asia. It also is linked to Central Asia, both ethnically and linguistically, and has a growing number of political parties that support opposition to Israel, establishment of a Turkish Islamic Republic, and the worldwide rule of Islam. That's what they want to push for, a worldwide rule of Islam. But who's in the way? Israel, right? Because Islam is against Israel. And so we can see that Turkey, we're not really sure and certain about its allegiances. It's built on the house of cars. And so it's very, very fragile. And it can turn at any moment. Okay. But this, which brings us to a very interesting point in Ezekiel 38. If you notice, if you go back to Ezekiel 38, 1 to 3, 
the world, the word of Yahuwah came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog, right? Of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Right now, we cannot say that Gog is influencing Meshach and Tubal because we're still against Russia. And so what this tells us is time will come when Meshach and Tubal will turn, right? And become obedient to the influence of Gog by siding with Russia. When that happens, guess what? All these countries are poised to fulfill the prophecy to swoop in and surround Israel, right? And so when we are looking, when we are reading world events, it seems like everything's being set up for the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38. So what will be the outcome though? When this invasion happens, what will be the outcome, right? Let's find out in Ezekiel chapter 39, 1 to 2. Son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, this is what the sovereign Yahuwah says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and drag you along. I will bring you from the far north and send you against the mountains of Israel. And so Yahuwah is going to allow uh, Gog and those who are with him to invade Israel. And then what happens once they are within the vicinity of Israel? Three down to six. And I will strike your bow from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel, you will fall, you and all your troops and the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and to the wild animals. You will fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares Yahuwah, declares the sovereign Yahuwah, I will send fire on Magog. And so according to the prophecy, when God leads all of these nations into battle against Israel, and once they're there, what will Yahuwah do? Yahuwah will strike them down. And it will be total carnage, because they will all fall, and their carcasses will be as food to all kinds of carrion birds and to the wild animals. You will fall in the field. Yahuwah is going to send fire against them. And so Yahuwah allows this to happen to show Israel that they should not rely on their own confidence, but on Yahuwah's strength. Because it's not Israel who's going to defeat them, but who? Yahuwah himself. And so Yahuwah is going to destroy these nations that will attempt to destroy Israel. And because of this destruction from Yahuwah's hands, what um, does the Bible tell us? I mean, it reveals actually to us the kind of weapons they're going to use. Nine down to ten. Then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up. The small and large shields, the bows and arrows, the war clubs and spears for seven years, they will use them for fuel. They will not need to gather food from the fields or cut it from the forest because they will use the weapons for fuel. And they will plunder those who plundered them and loot those who looted them, declares the sovereign Yahuwah. The Bible says that uh, after Yahuwah destroys these nations led by Gog, the instruction to the people of Israel is to use the weapons to power up the city. And so these are not ordinary bows and arrows and spears. These are modern weaponry. I mean, because if it's, if it's an ordinary bow and arrow made of wood, 
it's not going to provide enough fuel to burn up a whole city. It's not going to provide enough fuel to last for seven years, but it's gonna last for many years. And so when you think about that, these weapons are modern weaponry and perhaps they are radioactive nuclear in nature because when it comes to nuclear weaponry and weaponry that is using nu uh, nuclear science, we know that it can, it's, it, it, it can fuel a whole city. That's what nuclear reactors are for, right? That's kind of interesting. So it could be that all these nations attacking Israel, they're going to bring their modern weaponry with them, but it's all going to drop because their bows and arrows are going to drop on their hands and they will end up destroying themselves. Perhaps their own weapons are going to be used against them, which is one of the ways Yahuwah has shown uh, to deliver his people Israel in the past. Okay, so this is one scenario. What else? Verse 11. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore, they will call it the valley of Hamon Gog. And so there's going to be a designated place to put all of the corpses. And perhaps the reason why there's a designated place to place all the corpses is it could be radioactive. It could be infected with um, a weapon of mass destruction that uses chemical and biological warfare, right? And so they need to kind of set up place uh, for it. What else? 12 to 13. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. So there's going, that's, there's going to be so much carnage. It's going to take a long time to bury all the dead. Not only that, you know what they do? They, in 14, says they will set apart men regularly employed. So not just anyone can go out there and cleanse the land and remove the corpses. They have to be regularly employed. In other words, there are people who are qualified to do that because they're employed to do that. In other words, this requires knowledge of certain weaponry and how to contain them. And so this is a containment maneuver, how to contain the damage. The radio may perhaps is because of the radioactivity or it's a biological or chemical weapon. And so you need professionals who know what they're doing uh, to remove all of the things which uh, cause this devastation, okay? So with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search and the search party will pass through the land. And when anyone sees a man's bone, he shall set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamon Gog. The name of the city will be will also be Hamona, thus they shall cleanse the land. And so if after these professionals, these hired employees who specialize in uh, removing debris that is radioactive in nature, um, if someone encounters a bone, they're not to touch it. They're, put, they're supposed to put a mark on it and they will call the barriers. These professionals will know what they're doing. They'll be the ones to come over and remove it. And so that's the process of the cleanup after this devastation against the people who joined Gog. So that's going to happen 
um, after the invasion. So they're going to be destroyed by the hand of Yahuwah. Why though? I mean, what's the whole purpose of all this? And this brings us to question number four. What message must we learn in this invasion and Yahuwah's deliverance of the land of Israel? Ezekiel 39, 1-2, son of man, prophesy against Gong and say this. This is what sovereign Yahuwah says. I am against you all, Gong. And so one of the reasons why Yahuwah will allow all this to play out is because he is against Gog and the spirit of Gog, because there are many nations in the past that have suffered from the rule of tyrants. Tyrants in the past, like Stalin, Lenin, and what's his name again? The one with the mustache? Hitler, right? They're all operating from an evil spirit that is characteristic of Gog. And now Yahuwah is going to want to make Gog pay. And so Yahuwah says, I am against you, O Gog. And so we need to learn not to follow the pattern and the spirit of the ways of Satan and of Gog. And so what characterizes the way of Gog? Well, we know the spirit of Satan or Gog, they employ fear, right? I mean, when we think of these tyrant nations like Hitler, they employ fear. And what are, what are the characteristics? Well, let's look at these five characteristics of the spirit of Satan, the spirit of God, and the use of fear. Number one, it's embodied by a leader the people fear. It's one leader that represents God. Okay. Number two, there's indoctrination. Indoctrination that centers on devotion toward the leader. This is why the people of uh, that country or that nation, they will have pictures of that, that leader. They have to have pictures of him, okay, in their house. They're supposed to have devotion, they're to devote him, they give devotions to him. Number three, they will demand for loyalty. They are to be loyal to that leader. Number four, they will act deceptively. They will control information. And so they will tell people, you know, they will shut down certain sectors of media because it could really reveal their true intentions. And so they want to control the media consumed by the people that they lead because they only want to make, they want to make sure that what the information that's being fed is pro their agenda, okay? They're afraid to be discovered, you know? Number five, punitive measures for those who question authority. And so if you raise a voice against them, they're going to punish you. And so people may not agree with the leader, right? They will not agree, but because of fear of punitive measures, because of fear they're going to be punished, they just prefer to cooperate, right? And so they just go along with the flow because of the fear. And so that's the spirit of Gog. And Yahuwah says, I am against Gog. And if you still remember, Yahusha says something similar. Yahuwah said, I am against Gog. Yahusha says, I am against the Nicolaitans, remember? And so when we use the spirit of God and apply it in the church setting or in the religious setting, something that Yahuwah also hates, right? It's something that Yahusha, Yahusha hates. And Yahuwah is against any religion that follows after the pattern of the spirit of Satan, spirit of God, the use of 
fear. What do we call that when it's, when it's applied in the church setting? We call it the Nicolaitis, right? And it's the same thing. There are religious organizations today who are embodied by one absolute leader, right? They make all the shots and people are afraid of him. They're afraid to displease him because to displease him is to displease God, right? Number two, they indoctrinate. And their indoctrination centers around pleasing this leader. And number three, they demand loyalty for this leader. And if you don't show loyalty, you are branded. And when you're branded, you'll be persecuted. Number four, they employ deception. They will tell you, do not listen to these teachings. Do not listen to these doctors because they're afraid if you listen, well, you might begin to see the real truth, right? And so they're afraid of you finding out the truth. Deception, control of information. Don't watch this YouTube. Don't watch that. Don't read that. That's one sign. Number five, punitive measures for those who question authority. And so if you even, if you even express any kind of displeasure, even the smallest amount against their leader, it is considered a sin. They will even go as far as if you go against this spiritual leader, it's like going against God himself and you're committing the unforgivable sin. That's the way of the Nicolaitans, the way of Gog, the way of Satan, it's not the way of Yahuwah HaMashiach. So uh, the Bible says that Yahuwah is against Gog. That's one thing we need to learn, okay? We must be against the spirit of fear. We cannot use fear, and we cannot use the way of the Nicolaitans. What else must we also learn? Why else? And this is an important part, brethren. Why else does Yahuwah allow this to happen? Let's read 7 down to 8. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nation shall know that I am Yahuwah, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. What also is the chief purpose of why Yahuwah will allow this to happen? It's because he will make his holy name known. What is that name he will make known? His name? Yahuwah. What does it mean that he will make his holy name known? Because this is his purpose. Because Israel, they're not relying on God. They're relying on their fortress, on their strength, on their missiles, on their property, on their resources. And so Yahuwah says, I'm going to let this happen so that my name will be known. What name is that? The name of Yahuwah. And how does Yahuwah make his name known? To what does he associate his name to? Let's read Isaiah 42, 8. I am Yahuwah. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve images. And so Yahuwah is against any kind of expression that shows that they place or give glory to someone else other than who? Yahuwah. When people do that, even if they use the name of Yahuwah, but if they place their trust in human beings, they're not glorifying the name of Yahuwah. To glorify the name of Yahuwah means to place your confidence and hope in who? Yahuwah. This is why in Jeremiah 7, 5, and 7, it says, this is what Yahuwah says, curse are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from him. Verse 7, but blessed are those whose trust is in Yahuwah and have made Yahuwah their hope and confidence. 
There are many people today who may proclaim that they worship God, but they place their confidence in who? Human strength, missiles, resources, wealth, wisdom. You can go through the whole gamut of other things that they place their trust in. In money, right? When people place their trust in money and material things other than Yahuwah, the Bible says that is an act of glorifying man and not God. They're profaning the name of God. The Bible says, curse are those who put their trust in mere humans. And so this is one reason why Yahuwah is going to allow all this to happen. To show the world and to show Israel. You're placing your confidence in the wrong thing. You ought to be placing your confidence in who? In me, in Yahuwah, right? And so Yahuwah will allow all of this to happen. And Yahuwah, what will he do? I have, and I have sent a fire against Magog. He's going to demonstrate supernaturally that it is wrong to place your confidence in human beings. It's better. And what we need to do is to place our confidence in Yahuwah. That's why he's going to send a fire against Magog. But notice something here. There's something in scripture. After Yahuwah sends his fire, which is his judgment against Magog, take a, take a look at what he says also. And against the confident inhabitants of the isles. And they have known that I am Yahuwah. And so the Bible is telling us all of this focus is on Gog and Magog. And then all of a sudden, it points to where? The isles. Do you find that interesting? Yahuwah is telling us, hey, I want your attention now. You Israel, in the land of Israel, you're placing your focus not on me, but someone else or something else. Gog and Magog are being led by Gog. And then these people in the isles, Bible says they're going to also be punished. They're going to be punished. Who and why will they be punished? Because of their confidence. Wait a minute. Why would they be punished? Because of their confidence. Those people in the isles. Because they place their confidence not in who? Yahuwah. Instead, they place their confidence in man. They place their confidence in man instead of placing their confidence in Yahuwah. And this has been the warning to the isles. Even during the prophecy of Isaiah, remember? In Isaiah 24, 15 and 16, therefore, in the east, give glory to Yahuwah. Exalt the name of Yahuwah, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea. From the ends of the earth, we hear singing, glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away. I waste away, woe to me, the treacherous betray. With treachery, the treacherous betray. And so the Bible is telling us in advance, those who will suffer, because Yahuwah is going to teach them a lesson. Yahuwah is going to punish them because of their, they place their confidence in men. And they don't give glory to the name of Yahuwah. Bible says he's going to also teach those in the islands a lesson. And what lesson is that? We must exalt who? Yahuwah. Instead of a human figure. Instead of a human being. And Yahuwah. For some reason in Ezekiel highlights these people from the islands of the sea. This is why, brethren, we need to learn that lesson. We must glorify Yahuwah. We must praise his name. Never trust 
in your own capability. That's the lesson we need to learn. Now, when all these events are taking place, and we can see they're all being fulfilled according to the word of prophecy, what should be our response? We, the people of Abba, we who belong to Yahushua, what should be our response? You know, there are many prophecies, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, but the greatest prophet of all is who? Yahushua. Yahushua also spoke about the events in the last days. And when he spoke about prophetic events in the last days, he also tells us the reason for it and what our response ought to be. In Luke 21, if you are to read Luke 21, Luke 21 is about prophecy and events will take place during the end times. And this is from the king himself. This is why if you have the time, read Luke 21. It will give you what is to happen in the end times. But not only does our King Yahushua tell us what will happen in advance in the end times, he also tells us what he expects from us. This is why we need to look at Luke before we go ahead and conclude today in Luke 29, uh, 21, 9 to 11. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. There will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. And so what will happen when the end is near according to our King Yahushua? You're gonna have nations against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. There's gonna be wars. You're gonna hear about wars. Are we hearing about wars today? Are we hearing about commotions today? Are many people terrified today? Yeah. What else? Earthquakes in various places. In many places to there, there's warnings about earthquakes in New York, even here in the Bay Area. We are being warned about the big one. It's going to come anytime. And this is not just in the United States, but also throughout the world. The whole world is being shaken. It is as though Yahuwah is shaking the earth, telling us, wake up. The end is near. Not only that, the Bible speaks of a pestilence. You know, when you speak of a pestilence that has affected the entire globe, the first time that actually occurred is because of COVID-19. For the first time, we have a truly, quote unquote, global event, a pandemic caused by COVID-19 that tells us we are on the verge of the end. And Yahushua told us this long ago. And there's a reason why he told us this. Yahushua wants a response from us. When all these events are happening according to Luke 21, what should be our response? It's right here, 34, 36. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that they come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. What must be our response when prophecy is being fulfilled? According to the king himself, it's outlined right here in Leviticus, in Luke 21, 34 to 36. What's the first thing we need to know there? Number one, we need to he take heed of ourselves, right? In other words, we need to watch our ways and we must keep away from carousing from drunkenness and the cares of this life. In other words, we should not be distracted about the things of this life that we miss. We miss what Yahushua wants to teach us. That's the first thing. This is why prophecy 
was given to us so that we can see, you know what? Everything that Yahuwah said, everything that Yahushua said is coming true. It must be true. And so now I must focus my life on what Yahuwah wants. This is what our King Yahushua wants us to do in response. We need to look at our life. Am I being distracted by the things of this life that I do not give priority to the kingdom of God? That's number one. What else? The Bible says pray always. There are seven Greek words that mean pray. This is why Greek is a nice, it's a perfect language to communicate the gospel. It's so precise. There are seven Greek words that mean pray. But the one used here is the word denomai, deomai, which means to want, to desire, to ask. And so it's a different, different level of intensity. It's to want it so much that you beseech for it, you beg for it. This is what Yahushua wants, that we will intensify our prayers. We need to make sure that we are doing the work of the kingdom. And we need to be praying and intensifying our prayer. What else? Yahushua also says we need to be worthy to stand before the son of man. To stand before the son of man is an idiom that comes from the book of 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10. What does that mean? To stand before the son of man. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so when these events are taking place, what we need to do is to ask ourselves, when that time comes, when I will stand before Yahushua, when he will assess what I've done, when he will evaluate what I've done, we need to ask ourselves today, what will we say to him? What if Yahushua says to us? What have you done with the life we gave you? What have you done for the sake of the kingdom? What will be our response to our King Yahushua? Because one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us will. And we're going to be held accountable for everything we did, everything we said. How are we going to respond, brethren? And we say to our loving Mashiach, Mashiach Yahushua, this is what I've done to the best of my ability. I worshipped you. I testified about you. I proclaimed you. Did we do that? Or were we too busy carousing, doing our own thing, that we forgot all about the kingdom? That's number three. And number four, the Bible says, watch. We need to watch. What does that mean? We need to watch Luke 21, 26 to 28. In the final passage of our studies, men will faint with, from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the son of man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Let us be watchful. In other words, we must long to see Yahushua to come in the air to take us to be with him forevermore. Because when Yahushua comes, that will be the day of our redemption. That will be the day of our salvation. Every day, we should live our life as though today Yahushua is going to return. Purpose of prophecy is to prepare us to receive the salvation of Yahushua. 
But we must never ever think that the salvation of Yahusha is not going to happen till that day or this happens first. It can come at any time. And so we need to live our life every day as though Yahusha is going to return. That's what it means to watch. Every day you wake up in the morning, say to yourself, today could be the day when Yahusha returns and live our life accordingly. Let us always look for him, to long for his return, and to receive his promised salvation. That is the response Yahusha wants from us when all these prophetic events are beginning to unfold before our eyes. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes, Father. Almighty Yahuwah Abba. Yes. Father. Thank you for the message of hope that you have given us. Yes, Father. When people nowadays listen to the news. Yes. And watch what is taking place. Disaster after disaster. Yes, Father. War and rumors of wars. Yes. Acts of violence. Yes, Father. Many people lose hope and they're gripped with fear. But we know, we as your people, yes, Father. we have hope. Yes, it Father. moves us to all the more place our confidence. Yes. Not in human capabilities. Yes, not in human strength. Yes. But upon your strength, loving Abba. Amen. We do not have anything that we can boast of. Yes, Father. We do not have power nor strength nor numbers yes but what we do have is you yes father and so if ever we will boast we will boast in this yes that you are yahuwah yes. who exercises loving kindness yes and justice throughout the world amen and so we proclaim your name at this moment yes yahuwah abba you are our father yes you are also our protector yes. we make you our refuge our shelter and protection. Amen. Yes, we live in this dangerous place. Yes, Father. But we are not afraid because yes. you protect your people. Amen. May your face be upon us. Yes, May it Father. shine upon us. Yes. When we call upon you, loving Father, yes. respond from heaven. Yes. Give us that peace that we need yes. that we can overcome all fear. Teach us, oh loving Father, yes, to live Father. according to your word and yes. to place our priority in fulfilling the works of your kingdom. Amen. Yahusha, loving Mashiach, yes, please Lord. be in our midst. We long for your presence. Yes, May you dwell in our hearts. May you watch over our ways. Yes, One day we will stand before you. Yes, and you will ask us about what we have done. Yes. When you have blessed us with various gifts, yes. when you have called us into your assembly, yes. teach okay. us while we have the opportunity, yes. how we can make the most of what we have received, yes. that okay. we can be your instruments in proclaiming you and your gospel. Amen. Father, please forgive us, heal us and strengthen us yes. and prepare us for the great day of our salvation. Amen. We ask and beg everything loving Abba. Yes. We ask all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.